Hello there. This is an incoming transmission from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to the Credible Nerds podcast with Mark and Justin. This is the podcast you're looking for. Don't go about your business. Stay here. Well, go about your business and listen. And then you can move along. Move along. Random Makes Productions and the Credible Nerds present Reasons Why the Phantom Menace is a Great Star Wars Movie. Welcome everyone to the Credible Nerds Podcast. This is episode six of our Star Wars podcast series about arguments as to why The Phantom Menace is a great Star Wars movie, or also known as reasons why The Phantom Menace doesn't suck. We want to thank you guys for joining us here on this episode. Uh, my name is Justin, and I have a special guest with me this time, Harry. Hi, guys. We want to welcome you to the podcast again. We recently recorded the last episode and wanted to have you back on to talk more Star Wars. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Justin. Yep. So this episode, we'll be talking about the Trade Federation and their droid army and how they play into the film and what significance they have, if any, and kind of what their role is and why they're important. So in the last episode, we touched on how the Trade Federation were the villains of, of this film and how they were you know, conscripted or um, given the idea by Darth Sidious to start a war, a Trade Federation war with Naboo regarding trade routes. Uh, which is often laughed at and derided, but pretty sure there's a lot of wars throughout history that are started because of trade routes and taxes and people wanting to get more money out of these things that are being traded. So pretty uh, logical and, um, you know, an idea that's been throughout history. So it always made sense, always made sense to me. For sure. It's uh, definitely a, a major factor in wars in the past. And, and so it was a long, long time ago. So it makes sense. So the Trade Federation, they need, they need an army. And what they decide to come up with is a droid army. They're not very smart, but they're deadly and shoot accurately, it looks like. So they build them and they prepare them. I, my guess is they initially started out as kind of a security detail for, for these guys and, you know, a way to keep the peace when they'd go in and do whatever they do with their, their trade routes and make sure that, you know, pirates and bounty hunters aren't stealing their stuff is my guess. And then from there was just the next step to create, you know, create more of these droids and have more of them to be able to go invade. And maybe they had invaded other uh, planets or colonies or whatever in the past. And so that's why when this idea of a trade blockade was brought up in the Senate, everyone's like, eh, whatever. Cause that was, that was the thing that I was first thought of is, you know, you know, this planet's being blockaded and attacked because of taxes. I mean, that, Okay, they can work that out, but, you know, it's an invasion and no one really cares about it. They're like, oh, that's too bad for those guys. And they just want to move on to the next topic. And I always thought that was interesting. So maybe this, this isn't the first time. This is just maybe the, the conflict got escalated more than normal. But um, it was how the Trade Federation decided they want to handle things. And as we know, Darcidius was behind it all. So um, initially, the the Trade Federation sends them, they, you know, they have the planet surrounded with their, their starships and they send these transports down with all the, the droids and their ships and their tanks and everything. And they invade the capital of Naboo 
and um, take over. Basically, they depose the queen, or at least try and capture the queen before the Jedi show up and free her. But uh, you know, they're all out occupying this the city, the Theed, and the planet of Naboo. Seems a pretty aggressive move for a, a trade taxation dispute. I never thought about what you just you said about the Senate not seeming to care. Um, it does make sense if it had happened in the past. They're like, eh, whatever, they'll get over it, and so it's no big deal. Yeah, maybe they've tried it, and the show of force did resolve the conflict pretty quickly, and they kind of forced you know the other people, the other planet that got invaded to sign their treaties or meet their demands pretty quickly. So then it ended up being, not being a big deal. So that became their tactic. So maybe that's why the Senate wasn't too, uh, they didn't react with much concern over it. So, But they need an army to enforce all this. We see the droid army. Um, we're introduced to the, the phrase Roger, Roger in this film. <laughs> kind of plays out through the rest of the, the prequel trilogy as well as the Clone Wars cartoon. And... It ended up being like, especially in the animated Clone Wars series, it ends up being kind of this punchline that's can be pretty funny at times. So I have always appreciated it. <laughs> yeah, I never, as much as Jar Jar annoyed me, I never found that annoying. Um, it was just kind of a, a, a silliness, but also maybe uh, showing how they were afraid of AI a little bit and kept them kind of on the, the lower end of the spectrum as far as intelligence goes. Yeah. So you don't worry about them deciding, like, hey, why are we taking orders from you? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. If they would have gone all Terminator on the galaxy, it would have been a lot different story. Right. So, well, how do you, I mean, you're, you've are you been involved in the military. You've studied military tactics and things like that. Um, Harry, what's your perspective on this droid army? How effective are they or are they effective? Kind of what's their MO or was it silly or was it just, yeah, this is Star Wars, anything goes type thing. Or was there some real meat to, to the story there? Uh, there's a little bit of both. Um, you know, they blockade the planet first. They cut off communications. They make it difficult for the Nubians to um, to pull off an effective defense. And then they land not just, you know, troops. They land heavy troops. They're bringing down tanks. They've got uh, skimmers and gunships and uh, whatever they need to take the battle. Um, Star Wars battles are always a little bit uh, um, antiquated, maybe. It's a little bit World War One. We're all going to you know, jump out of the trenches and run forward or <laughs> man static defenses. Um, but without turning them into a war movie, there's really nothing else you can. And if you want the spectacle of this huge army fighting, that's the kind of battle you're going to fight, right? To lined up troops marching across a battlefield. Yeah. It's probably simpler for storytelling um, in a two-hour movie to you know, have these guys versus those guys. and They both advance on each other at the same time type thing. Right. At this, by the same token, though, um, during the like the last big battle with the Gungans, um, they do start out with uh, an artillery bombardment. They have the tanks, you know, shooting, and it's only when they're ineffective that they send in their ground troops. The, yeah. the troops aren't even out yet. They think that they're, you know, going to be able to take them down with, with just the tanks and, and the heavy guns, and then they don't even deploy troops until they realize they can't. So they do have some tactics to it. They, they keep their troops protected. Um, I've always thought of those, those uh, the droid carriers as quite armored and as fragile as the droids can be. They're pretty well protected until you need them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the droid armor is pretty dispensable. I think they're made that way where they're, you know, um, smart enough, I guess you could say, where they can have an effect. But if they were lost or destroyed it's no big deal they have you know 100 more behind them so there's a cost effect a cost efficiency 
mindset there as well. For sure, um, especially with the the battle droids themselves. But you know, they have uh, other more specialists droids that they use for you know tougher situations. So I can't remember the name of the the bigger the bipedal one, um, but those are pretty heavy duty. Yeah, I think those are just B two. Like these these ones we see in. Phantom Menace are B1s, and those are B2, if I remember correctly. So not very creative. The, but. And then the droidicas, are, they're pretty tough. I mean, they're, oh, yeah, they're hard to take down. Yeah. The, the, you know, they've each got a, a force shields, and you can't just shoot them. You really got to get at them, and they're fast and lethal. Yeah, I forgot about those for a minute. Um, could they just have more droidicas? And, I mean, well, why not? They're, they're more lethal and more effective. I mean, the Jedi had to run away from them, so... Why not have right. more of those? And that might go back to the, we don't want them going Terminator on us. Those are a little harder to control. And if one does go down, well, you're in a lot of trouble because they are so tough. Versus the, the B1 droids, well, you could get a couple thousand of them going rogue and you know a couple of Jedi should be able to take care of it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the Trade Federation, I always thought it was interesting that they were allowed to build their own army. Um Maybe it did start out as a security detail, as I mentioned earlier, but I think people will start to notice when their star showing up with an army. Uh, so that was interesting. You know, Trade Federation isn't that like, I mean, they're their own company. They have their own interests. They're not part of the government, if I remember correctly. And then they have a seat in the Senate. I mean, they have a say in the, the Senate and the goings on of the government of the galaxy. So I said that was an interesting dynamic that they're allowed to have their own army and do these type of strong arm tactics to people who don't fall in line. And Well, then the Republic at the time was, uh, other than the Jedi, really had no military. So they're kind of in a quandary. Like, what do we do? Oh, they, they built an army. Well, we can tell them stop that. But now they have the army. Yeah. Um, and they're just literally weren't enough Jedi to, to fight that droid army. There wasn't an army from anybody else that they knew of where there could be troops that could be thrown into it. So you're kind of stuck by the time you realize they have an army, you can't really do anything about it. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if Darth Sidious had a hand in that. Like if he was working with the Trade Federation to you know build this army, if that was the reasoning behind it. If he's like, yeah, you should build more droids to protect your interests. You know, if he was the one behind that or if they had it on their own. Because once, I mean, that's the that's probably one of the first steps in Darth Sidious's plan is, okay, you guys create this army and then there's an incident or two. And then the Republic is going to have to act and create their own army, which they did. So I wonder if that was, you know, the plan all along. Uh, I would say yes, that he needs a war. He needs the, um, the fear of the war. The Republic hasn't had a war in so long that none of the senators really know what to do. Yeah. And by, you know, the, the War Powers Act and allowing him to take sole control, it gives him way more power than he could get through simple voting. And he needs that war to happen. And I'm going to say yes, that he's the one that instigated the droid army, put it in their ear saying, hey, you guys could protect your trade interests if you expanded your security force into a full-on army. And here's where you could do it. Let me help you meet the Genosians and you yeah. guys can get together. They get money and you get your army and everybody's happy. Yeah. And my plans keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So this droid army, um, I know... Role-playing games and um, different types of, of games, not only video games, but others as well. You know, the droid army is a, a major player in these in these games because they're, you know, the expendable army. And you play uh, 
X-Wing and Armada, Harry. Uh, does the droid army play a role in, in those games or what, what's their status in those games? Uh, not so far in Armada. Um, they have not been introduced as a, a faction yet. And that probably has more to do with um, Armada being on the back burner with Fantasy Flight than it does them being a playable faction. But in X-Wing, for sure, um, the Fantasy Flight jumped into the Clone Wars era with with both feet, and um, they provided a very different and unique and quite popular uh, faction for X-Wing because the droid fighters can all of a sudden do things that nothing else can Mm -hmm. and added in tactics and strategies that kind of mixed up the game. And if you were bored with what was going on, you could grab these new ships and have all these new things that you can do and now everybody you play against has to deal with you and your, your, you know, your droid ships. Um, they're very much like the movie. They're super cheap. They fly in swarms. There's so many of them that even though they might not be the best ships out there, it, you know, you're flying bigger swarms than you even had with TIE fighters. Mm-hmm. And then they're doing cool stuff like landing on asteroids where um, every other ship in the game bounces off an asteroid and takes j- damage. The droid ships can just land right on it and then take off in another direction and you know, created some some real issues and, and different strategies for the game. So they're for sure in it um, and added a lot to it. Okay. That's pretty cool that they, you know, they they realized, hey, we need to get these guys in the games because they're part of the, the story, the universe. But then they just, just didn't make them not very interesting that they do have these different abilities that these other ships don't have. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, so with X-Wing and Armada, it's all space battles, right? That's correct. Yeah, so... Do you know of any games that have ground battles? Uh, yeah, Fantasy Flight, um, a year or two ago, introduced the game Legions, Star Wars Legions, which is uh, ground-based. And okay. of course, the first was all Rebel Alliance versus Stormtroopers. But recently, they released, uh, jumped into the Clone Wars with that as well. And uh, they've got B1 battle droids, B2 super battle droids, droidicas, and the AAT uh, tanks, the Trade Federation tanks, for that game. And... Uh, they're, they're quite popular again. Um, same thing, it introduced some, some different strategies to the game and gave an entirely new look to enemy armies. Um, and, you know, you've got clones versus droids now instead of just rebel troops versus stormtroopers. So yeah. people that are, you know, if you're more into the Clone Wars era, you can get right into the game and you have the troops that you like, the, fat, you know, the, the forces and the actions, and you can refight the battles that interest you most. Okay. All right. So they have a lasting impact, not only in the movies, but in in the games as well. So that's cool. Um, That's all I have to say about these guys. (laughs) Do you have anything else? Um, I thought they were pretty cool. Um, Just from the beginning, um, you kind of don't get a scale of things at first for how big those, um, their carrier ships are. Yeah. Um, The landers. It wasn't until I had one of the exploded view books where you can see like how much is jammed into each lander. Each lander is basically uh, an army by itself, and um, there's just some kind of cool things. The way the droids were packed up inside their there's the smaller carriers, those grav carriers, the tanks were kind of cool, had a, a cool, unique aesthetic to them. And then being hover tanks, they were kind of cool. I just I thought the whole army was kind of cool. Um, the droids were kind of funny. I laughed at them, the Roger Roger and the silliness of them, and it didn't seem quite too smart, but they were fairly effective just because they were in numbers. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. One uh, one point the in this film we see that they're controlled by the droid control ship in space. So that's why in the film the spaceships, the starships are trying to blow up that the one ship because then it destroys the the droid army. 
And then in episode two, they learn their lesson and aren't being controlled by a, a droid control ship anymore. Um, you think that was obviously not a smart move, but do you think it was necessary to have, or is that just a story, um, something for the story so they can easily defeat the bad guys and not have as long drawn out battle or kind of what's your perspective on this droid control ship in episode one? Um, I don't know. I go back and forth between it was just a story and this is a way to, to end the battle. Um, and then I, I go back to, because in so much science fiction literature that I read, um, humans or any sentient race is always afraid of AI and they always try to limit the, the superiority of the AI. And there's always kind of a fail safe. Maybe it's the Skynet effect. Um, we don't want them to become too powerful. So if we can keep a, keep a kill switch on them, as in like the droid control switch or the, the droid control ship, rather, um, we keep them under control and we don't have to worry about them going rogue. So I kind of go back and forth. One, it's a cheap way to, to, to end the, uh, the battle. The other is, is this kind of makes sense because we don't want, you know, 10 million Terminators running around the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's kind of a... Like I like how you said a kill switch, just in case. So. In so much science fiction literature, uh, there's limits on AI um, beyond like the hard rules, uh, Asimov's three rules. We see that in a lot of science fiction movies, but then in others, in other literature, there's just really hard limits on what they can do, and it's it's a, a fear of of battle droids. Really, you don't want to have to fight them because they're tougher or more numerous than whoever controls them. So it kind of makes sense to have a, a control ship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like, I like the droid army. I like the look of them. They're, you know, skeletal and a little, little scary. Um, menacing, I guess. They're another menace in the Phantom Menace. Uh, the droid, because have a really cool design as well. And all the, the transports and ships, great design. I think whoever was in charge of de- designing these particular, you know, items. Um, I don't know if Doug Chang did them all or if he, I can't remember. But they did a really good job on the design and the aesthetic of it all. It looked, you know, they're they're not too scary like a, like a Terminator is, or they're not too goofy as as some robots are, I guess. So I thought they had a good look and played a good role in the film, and they were a force to contend with. So that's our review of the Trade Federation and their droid army. And in episode one, The Phantom Menace, we want to thank you guys for joining us here on this podcast episode. Next up, we'll be talking about R2-D2 and C-3PO, one of the most iconic duos in film history. And they meet for the first time in this movie. We're going to talk about how epic that was and how important it was to the story. So once again, thanks for joining us here on the Credible Nurse podcast as we talk about uh, reasons and arguments as to why The Phantom Menace is a great Star Wars movie. So we want to thank you guys, and may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.